I want you to turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. Please keep your Bibles open. I'm going to read one text verse, but look at several verses here out of this chapter today. Genesis 48. In this book, you'll read a name that is the same person that appears with two different names. Israel and Jacob is the same person. And that can be a little confusing if you don't pay attention to that because you'll wonder who's saying what at what time because sometimes he's referred to as Jacob, sometimes he's referred to as Israel. And the focus of this seems to be on Jacob until that you really really start to study the chapter and see some things that he's wanting to say. In Genesis 48, let's look at verse 21. And Israel, which is Jacob, said unto Joseph, that's his son, behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Now, I'm only reading the one verse for a text verse because I just want to give you a little preliminary to what I really want to try to focus on today. Uh, It is evident that Jacob or Israel is in his final days here in this chapter. He feels that death is near. They, in the chapter, his sons are called to him for a blessing. He's getting ready to leave and it wasn't uncommon, the practice of that time, that the father would give blessings to the children. Generally, the oldest child received the blessing of the right hand, which the blessing of the right hand always meant a double portion. So every one that was blessed by the right hand of a father when he was dying as a patriarch, they would receive double the portion of that blessing compared to the others. You say that seems unfair. Uh, Well, really, it's God's way of saying that, uh, that he sees all, he knows all, he's in control of all, but you know, blessings aren't always fair. Some people live the godliest of lives, but fight the hardest battles. And other people, they live like the devil, but it seems like they've got everything going for them. So blessings are not always what we think, but it's, it's the spiritual blessings that we're concerned with. And Joseph, of course, realizing they've, they've given the command, Joseph knows that his father is near death, so he has two sons. Uh, Joseph has the story of his life, of course, was from the pit to the prison to the palace. And then he, after he's elevated, he receives a wife. He has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh, the name Manasseh means I will cause you to forget. The name Ephraim means double blessings and fruitful. So the second born was Ephraim, but yet here it says by his name, he'll be blessed twice as much and he'll be fruitful. So with the time of blessing coming, Joseph realizes that he and his brothers will be the ones to receive the blessing but he wants his grandsons to be present or Joseph wants his sons there, the grandsons of Jacob or Israel to be there because he wants them to witness. Uh, 
a time of blessing. He's preparing them. Not that they're there to receive a blessing. They're a grandson. And the blessing goes to the children. So you follow the picture? They're there. He's got them there. The time of blessing comes. And there's some things that we, we see in this. I, I spend a lot of time with dying people. And some of the greatest lessons that I have learned, I have learned from people as they near death. Do you know something? Everything's genuine when people near death. The important things are really revealed in the time of death. Really, the accomplishments of life mean more in the time of death than any other time. And people will try to oftentimes teach you or tell you things to help you in the time of death. So Jacob is dying and he says, I'm gonna give you just a few lessons here for you to learn in my death that I hope will help you in your life. So what we have is a dying man teaching lessons to the living to say this will make your life better. When we learn some things, we ought to pass that knowledge along because we want them to live better and do better. Now there's some things we see here in these verses if we look at them. Look at the first two verses together. It came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. Notice the phrase, and Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. He's dying. He's weak, and now suddenly he finds this strength to sit up on the bed when they say Joseph is coming, but it wasn't just Joseph. It was Manasseh and Ephraim that was with him. So that tells me something in the beginning. Manasseh and Ephraim is there. We don't read of any other, of the other grandchildren there. They're there, they're present just to witness it. But there's something about that old man that I believe his heart was thrilled and he found strength, not when his sons were there, but when his grandsons got there. Grandkids will make you lose your mind. They absolutely will cause you to do things you wouldn't normally do. You'll, why? It'll make an 85 year old person get on the floor and play with kids knowing good and well you're not gonna be able to get back up. But you'll still do a lot of things for your grandkids. Could I get an amen to that? And really what the lesson is in this as well, and I think churches need to hear this, especially in the day we're living in. A new, anointed, young generation will always revive and give strength to an older generation. See, it was when he saw them and he, they walked into the room, that's when his strength was renewed. So the anointing of God is contagious. When these young ones come in with their strength and energy, suddenly he finds energy. I'm here to tell you any church will lose its enthusiasm if it loses the second generation. I see it constantly. People don't care about that generation. They're just concerned about them. They may even be concerned about their children, but the grandchildren, they don't see their role. But yet here, they've got a role to play in this. And God shows the importance of that. And any time that the living comes in contact 
with the dying, it gives energy to the dying. And I don't know of a church anywhere in this nation that if they are dying, if they could get a revival among their young people, it would bring life to that church. So here we see that the blessings of the Lord comes not merely from the fact that Jacob is dying, but he finds the strength to give the blessing through the generation that's coming on his grandchildren. The second thing we see, blessings of the Lord have no boundaries. There's something strange that struck me. He says in verse eight, Israel says to his son, Jacob says to Joseph, who are these? Referring to the two that are with him. And Joseph said unto his father, these are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, bring them, I pray thee unto me, I will bless them. Notice the phrase, God hath given me in this place. The question is, what place? What's he referring to? Where are they at? They're in Egypt, the most unlikely place to receive a blessing. It is a land that's controlled by a king or a pharaoh that is ungodly, worships false gods, that has taken God's people into captivity. It is the most unlikely place to receive a blessing. But can I tell you something? God has no limits or boundaries on his blessings. He can bless who he wants, when he wants, no matter where they are. He's the one that's in control. He determines when the blessings come and when God chooses to bless you, it doesn't matter if you're working around a group of heathen. It doesn't matter if you're on a hospital bed. It doesn't matter if you're in a church house. It doesn't matter if you're behind the wheel of your car. God says, I determine the place and even though it's an unlikely place, he's the one that decides who gets the blessing and when they get it in this place. So you may be in a place where you think God can't bless you. You may say, I'm in a place where disease has taken control of my body, but God says, I can bless you in that place. You may be in a place of bondage, but God can bless you in a place of bondage. You may be in a place of discouragement, but God can bless you in a place of discouragement. God can bless without limits. God can bless the old, God can bless the young. God can bless the strong, God can bless the weak the limits that we place on God oftentimes say, oh, if I was at this place doing this thing, then I'll receive a blessing. You don't know when the blessings will come. Our heavenly father's in control of the blessings and he decides when the blessings come. The other thing is, is that ministry can happen in any place. You say what? The only place for people to be saved is at church. I disagree with you. If God puts you in a place, God says, I'll give blessings in that place. This month, our church has had the privilege to be out at Elbrook two services a week. That's two extra services a week. Many of you have been there to those services. And I'm telling you, the preaching and the singing has been absolutely fabulous. And I don't know if anybody else has been blessed, but I've been blessed. 
because I look around and see how God is using our preachers and our singers and God them. You get in a place like that where folks are older and they're sick and they're confined and you'll think, how can God bless somebody there? But he chooses where to bless, when to bless, and God gives us the ministry and it doesn't matter if it's in a jailhouse or if it's in a cave or if it's here in church, God says, I can bless your ministry regardless of where I have placed you, I can bless you there. The other thing you need to see is that God's, Blessings are not limited concerning the place, but God's blessings are limited concerning the people. As many times as I've read this, I don't know why I had never caught this. Manasseh and Ephraim were there to watch, not to participate. But suddenly, he asked them, bring them to me. I'm gonna bless them too. He's not only blessing the sons, he's blessing the grandsons. Now the blessings normally are first generational, not second generational. Search your Bible out. He doesn't give it to the grandchildren, he gives it to the children. And I thought this is a strange occurrence strange to us, that it doesn't follow the protocol of what's normally done in scripture. Why does he bless these grandsons? And the answer to that is, they're not grandsons to him. Have your attention now, don't I? Go back up to verse five. Look at verse five. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt are mine. Did you catch that? And he goes on to say, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. You know what he did? He elevated them. He made them like sons, not grandsons. Oh, you're not getting this. God is limited to blessing, spiritually blessing, one generation. Don't get confused. We think of a generation by age. No, God doesn't bless the second generation. God blesses the first generation. Can I put it in English so that we can understand it? God has no grandchildren. He only has children. It doesn't say, but unto as many as receive him, to them gave you the power to become the grandchildren of God. No, he just has sons and daughters. If you are saved, you are not more saved or less saved than what I am. You're God's child just like I'm God's child. But he limits spiritual blessings to his children. There's some blessings spiritually you cannot receive until you're his child. You cannot receive the blessing of praying and having your prayers answered until you're a child of God. Because if we regard iniquity in our heart, 
He'll not hear our cry, the Bible says. The first cry he hears from a sinner is the prayer that we want forgiveness of our sin. But until then, he's not listening to us about all the other things. You say, why preachers at Rome born to pray? No, they're just getting in practice, but nothing can happen because you don't believe he's really God. If you believed he was God, you would repent of your sin and confess him as your savior and come to him. The Lord says, I'm not interested in having grandchildren. I'm interested in having children. Sons of God, daughters of God. So he's saying God has no grandchildren. He's concerned about the fact that he reaches through a generation and elevates a generation to the point that they are on the same level as his sons. You know what that meant to those boys? They were just spared 40 years of struggle, heartache, strife. See, that, that's what we're trying to do here at the church. We're, we're, we're trying to get you at a place to save you some trouble if you'd listen to us. We're trying to spare you some problems if you'll listen to us. Things look so easy. I know when you're sitting back and you're thinking, boy, when I get to this place, I'll do this and I'll do that. But the truth of the matter is, you are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today. Every one of you are the church of today. From nine months old to 90 years old, if you are here this morning, even as a youngster, if you've been saved by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, you're his child. God has no grandchildren. He just has children. The other thing we see is that God always, always moves his hands for his purpose. A strange thing occurs in this passage. It starts, it starts in verse 13. Look at verse 13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, Toward Israel's, what's the next two words? Left hand. So he's taking the youngest boy, making sure he's close to the left hand. Who gets the double blessing? The right hand. So he takes Ephraim, the youngest, toward Israel's left hand. And Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near undoing. So he's placing them. He's placing the oldest closest to Israel's right, Jacob's right hand. He's placing the youngest closest to his left hand. So he's putting them in the place of blessing. In other words, he's trying to manipulate what's going on. He's trying to set it up. But Israel, look in verse 14, stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. And laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand, upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was firstborn. So get the picture. He's up in the bed. You now have the eldest to the right, and you have the youngest to the left to receive the blessing. He reaches out, lays his hand on the right, on the left, the one on the right gets the double blessing. That meant he crossed his hands. 
He had to cross his hands intentionally. In, in other words, to give this blessing that he did, his hands are crossed. Immediately, if you read the rest of the chapter, Joseph says, oh, Father, no, no, let, let's put your hands back. But in verse 14, he answers it all in the last few words. He said, he guided his hands wittingly. He knew what he was doing. He knew who he was blessing and he knew who was getting the double portion. But that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. That's not how the plan goes. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? You're not in control, the father's in control. And even though one of the children wanted to make it something different, it couldn't be something different. See, the greatest day in your life is when you understand, if God's going to bless me, I've got to get to the right place, be where he wants, do what he wants, and if I don't do that, nothing else matters. He's in control, we're not. So he crosses his hands to give the blessings. I don't know, are you ready for this? He crosses his hands to give the blessing. When he crossed his hands to give the blessing, everything changed. The cross made the difference. The cross made the difference. What kind of a difference? Well, one thing is they got a new parent because of the cross. He now says, you're not a grandson, I'm your daddy, I'm your father. I don't have a grandfather sitting on a cloud in the heavens, I've got a heavenly father that is unworthy as we are, he's made us his son, he's changed our life. The cross made the difference. Not only do we have a new parent, but also we have a new position. He says, now I'm gonna bless you as a son. You're not a grandchild. You're a son coming home. And then he has a new portion because of the cross. When he crossed, suddenly the younger gets way more than he ever dreamed that he would get. First, because of the cross, both of them got something they didn't expect. Is there anyone that would agree with this statement? Boy, I sure got a lot I didn't expect to get when I came to the cross. And everything changed in my life because of the cross. Because of the cross, I'm put in a position where I once was lost, now I'm found. Because of the cross, I have a new destination where I was one time on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. Because of the cross, God has given me double, double beyond what I could have ever imagined in all of my life. Because of the cross, because of the cross, he calls me his son. 
Because of the cross, he says everything is different now. The change comes because of the cross that the Father made. And I'm here to tell you, the cross is what makes the difference for all of us. It's always the cross that makes the difference. I really wonder, do we want blessed? I think sometimes we go into things like Manasseh and Ephraim. They didn't go for the blessing. They just wanted to see somebody else blessed. Did you come for a blessing today or did you just come to see somebody else get blessed? I think maybe they thought, maybe I'll experience the overflow of the blessing. I won't have to act like that. When they get blessed, I don't know how they're going to respond, but all I'm going to do is I'm just going to be a spectator. I'm just going to watch them get blessed. God's not concerned in spectators. He wants people to participate. He wants to bless you and you and you and you and you and you. He's not limiting his blessings to any of his children. Now, if you're not a child of God, there's blessings that you can't partake of. But if you're God's child, he has a blessing for you today. And the blessing comes about because of the cross. The cross made the difference.